Good morning. It's good to see you guys. You guys are the ones that either had to come home early at the end of fall break or you didn't get to go anywhere on fall break. So I'm sorry either way. So we're glad you're here this morning. And uh, if you're, from, I know there's probably people watching online uh, that are on fall break. We're glad you can join us there and uh, hope that uh, that is going well for you while we're here. So, no. We, uh, this uh, series uh, has been good uh, for me, I know, um, that, uh, you know, I, as I typically say, you know, preaching to myself, uh, and uh, th- that has definitely been true throughout this, and uh, as we've been talking about different idols, it's, it's amazing, you know, you'd think, oh, well, I probably have like one or two or something, and, and then as I've been preaching through this stuff, I'm just like, oh gosh, I struggle with that. I was like, well, that's probably the last one, and then I get, you know, oh, okay, well, I struggle with that, you know, and then so, you know, so on and so forth, and I think, uh, you know, we just kind of, uh, you begin to realize just how much, uh, you know, we tend to uh, latch on to things in this world and make them so much more important than they are, as we've been uh, talking, and one of the things that I've been bringing up is uh, that, uh, you know, any time we take a thing, and it can be a good thing, and we make it an ultimate thing, uh, in other words, it becomes something in our lives that if you were to remove it from our lives, that it would uh, do a number on us, make us feel like, uh, you know, uh, everything's uh, over, you know, life's over, I can't go, I can't go on, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and we do that. We do that with things. We do that with jobs and relationships and, you know, any number of things. Uh, and that's what we've been talking about. And this is, uh, as I've mentioned before, too, uh, this is uh, based around, uh, this series is kind of based uh, around a book that Tim Keller wrote called Counterfeit Gods uh, that is talking about this. And uh, uh, the scripture uh, that is the basis for the book, you know, is just, it's, it's so good and uh, stands on its own. So uh, first time for me to preach through something like that. But uh, uh, grateful that I'm doing it, and, and uh, I've, I've had a lot of feedback from a lot of folks, and uh, I appreciate that too. It's always good to hear how the Lord is using this in your life, and if He's speaking to your heart, and that that sort of thing. Uh, as a, as a pastor, just full transparency, which you mostly get, and sometimes don't want. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, as a pastor, sometimes you walk away from Sundays going. I don't know if that was any good at all, you know, or whatever. And uh, so, uh, you know, I'm always grateful to get to, to, get to hear uh, what the Lord is saying to you and that sort of thing. So uh, this morning, uh, we're going uh, to the book of Daniel. If you've got a Bible and you want to get it out, uh, we, will, we will be studying in the book of Daniel. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers have Bibles. They would be glad to bring you one. And uh, it can be yours for the low, low price of free. All you got to do is raise your hand and let them know you need it, and you can keep it. If you don't own one, we'd love for you to do that. We'd love for you to take one. If you don't have a Bible, we'd like for you to have one. Um, and before I get to, to uh, the book of Daniel, uh, you know, this, 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 this uh, uh, message today uh, is based around power, the idol of power. And, and power is one of those things that, you know, uh, I, I hear the word power, I immediately go to like horsepower and stuff because my brain just works that way. Uh, you know, and, and I, there's, a, there's a guy on the internet, he makes these little videos, and, uh, and, and, he's, and he, 
it's all they're all car related videos so please excuse the car illustrations but uh you know it, basically he's always they're funny he's a funny guy he's kind of comedic and you know in his delivery of these things and and one of the things he's always saying he's always saying mo power mo power baby mo power you know and uh uh you know and, and I couldn't help but think about that the entire time I'm like studying for this message and um you know the the idea of power being an idol you know, it, 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 if it strikes you like it does me, it's kind of like, oh, well, I probably don't, probably don't struggle with that. Um, and the truth is, is that power, you know, kind of, you know, shows itself in different ways. Um, you know, and, and one of those ways that we see it uh, in the landscape of, of today uh, is political power. And, you know, you may go, when I first started thinking about this and studying all this, I was kind of like, well, I'm, I'm not a politician, so that doesn't apply to me. Uh, but it applies to maybe how we hold some of our ideologies, which uh, is a word that's uh, very similar to idols, uh, if you're paying close attention to it. Um, and, you know, for, for example, I'm going to throw something at you. And this is something that I've heard a lot of people say over the last many years, last, you know, five, six, eight, ten years, I don't know. Uh, you know, especially older folks have said, maybe something like this, maybe you've said something like this, said, used to be whoever was voted to be the president was your president. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore. You know, and, and so therein lies, you know, it's like, oh, okay, well now Chris is opening a can of worms, you know, he's getting political today. Uh, I am the least political pastor you're going to find on the planet, okay? So first of all, before we get too far into this, and as I do talk about politics um, uh, with this, uh, I, I'm going straight with Jesus as much as possible on this, okay, and, and trying to do as little opinion as possible. I mean, I have my own political opinions, but that's not important to you. What is important for me uh, for you to get uh, is God's word and His leading in our lives. Um, you know this. Here's here's where we have a problem. Here's where we have a problem. We know that we've got a problem when, in a day and age, you know, like that statement was just said. You know, well, you know, and Chris, oh, don't be trying to make this guy my president. Whatever. Listen, that's not what I'm saying. When we tend to villainize those that are not like us and don't think the way that we do, there's an issue. If we villainize a group of people in the world, and we just say they're just the worst terrible people because they don't think the way I do, look the way I do, you know, whatever it is. You may say, Chris, oh, they, they do terrible things. They're trying to lead our country to do terrible things. I get all that. I'm not saying that we can't have an opinion about that. But listen to the word I'm saying when we villainize these people. How are we to be light to said people in this world? Because the world is made up of all kinds of people who don't think the way we do, you know, live the way we do, you know, wh whatever it is, you know. And so we have to be very careful with that because we're called to be light to the world, okay? Not just people like us. You know, and I think that I think that you know we hope you know secretly, secretly sometimes not all the time maybe, but sometimes secretly we just only want to be with people that are just like us, you know, and and that's not that's not a kingdom mindset, you know, and in fact that's borderline a lot of things that we don't want to be, 
whether it's racist or pick your flavors, a lot of, there's a lot of is words that we could use there, and I'm, I'm not interested in trying to call anybody one of those. You know, but if the shoe fits, you know, it's just something to think about, something to be open to. And, you know, I, I think for us, you know, a lot of times, and especially, especially in the landscape of the South and, and honestly just across the country, let's just face it, across the country, politics turn into a form of religion and what we end up with is an ultimate. We end up with an ultimate. And that's why you see when, you know, when somebody's, you know, person isn't elected or, you know, their bill isn't passed or, you know, whatever it is, they just, to hear them talk about it would be like their life is going to fall apart. We're not going to make it. We're, there's no way we can see this through kind of a mentality. You can say, Chris, this stuff's important. I agree it's important. I'm not saying it's not important. But we make it an ultimate thing. And again, a lot of times we're making good things ultimate things. Being patriotic can be good. But patriotism as your religion can be bad. As believers, we should see that the main problem in this life is sin. And not people. You know, so that we know that we, we as believers know that the only cure to sin is God and His grace. Our viewpoint becomes all messed up when we identify something else as the main problem and something else other than God as His grace and as the remedy. So you see what we do is we replace seeing God and His calling in our lives as believers. I'm talking about the church as a whole, not just us as individuals, but both and, okay? That, that we've been called to be light in this world and be a part of the change and all those things and, you know, whatnot. But, you know, when we begin to place all, all of, like, whether or not we're going to make it on the politicizing of life and whether or not we got our way, we got a problem. We've made an ultimate thing out of it. We're no longer looking at it as like the world is full of sin and it needs Jesus to the world's full of idiots and it needs my way. It does us zero good to identify something in creation as the villain or as the Savior. The villain is Satan. Our Savior is Jesus. And no matter which side of the aisle you sit on, we see this happen. This isn't like, you know, Chris is picking somebody out today. I mean, we, 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 we see this across the landscape, right? I mean, it, 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 it doesn't matter what your political view is or any of that kind of stuff. The truth is, is that we see this, like, we see this left, we see this right. And the truth is, is we've just got to watch our hearts. We've got to pay attention to, like, what is on the throne in our life of what we're putting all the eggs into a basket of? So why do we do this? Because we make a God out of having power. I'm going to say that again. Why, why do we do this? Because we make a God out of having power. And you're like, well, Chris, but I'm not a politician. I'm not going to be the one in power. I understand that. I get that. No, but... For our person, 
to be in power means that we're getting our way. Right? And so it becomes about our way, our opinion, and our people having power. And, and listen, this, is, this, has been, this has been a constant through history. Go, go study the history books, and time and time again, you see this over and over and over again throughout time. Where, where governments and people have you know, you know, taken a good thing like patriotism and turned it all the way into something that's so terrible uh, like Nazi Germany, you know? Nazi Germany, you know? How much more patriotic could you get? You're like, oh, I mean, that's not the patriotism that I know. Yeah, absolutely, me either. But, same idea. I want to read... A little something out of this, and then we're going to jump into Daniel. It says this, Tim Keller, It is not easy to draw an exact line between ascribing value to something and assigning it absolute value. There is likewise no precise way to define a patriot, to define when patriotism crossed over into racism, oppression, and imperialism. Yet no one denies that nations have often slid down that slippery slope. It is no solution to laugh at all expressions of patriotism as if it were an evil thing in itself. As we have seen all along, idols are good and necessary things that are turned into gods. C.S. Lewis wrote wisely about this, and this is so good says, it is a mistake to think that some of our impulses, say, mother love or patriotism are good, and others, like sex or the fighting instinct, are bad. There are situations in which it is the duty of a married man to encourage his sexual impulse and of a soldier to encourage the fighting instinct. There are also occasions on which a mother's love for her own children or a man's love for his own country have to be suppressed or they will lead to unfairness toward others, people's, other people's children or countries. And it's, you know, it's funny, again, something good that we turn into something bad. And, I, and, and honestly, I think, I think we could probably all agree, you know, and I'm not trying to, you know, be one who's like, it's all, all the media's fault, but the media doesn't help a lot. You know, where we're just fed the same stuff over and over, whether it's truth, whether it's not truth, or whether it's biased this way or that way. The truth is, if you just intake the same stuff all the time, where's that going to go? It's usually not positive for us. So how do we combat this idol of power? Healing our relationship with God is honestly the only thing that we can do. And we see in Scripture, here in this passage that we're going to read in the book of Daniel, Daniel, a king uh, who had come into power and wanted power and wanted so much power that it became his ultimate thing. And his name is King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And, and, and at the point in time in history, because this is history at this point, okay? You know, this is like real life. Uh, I think sometimes we kind of forget that. We're talking about like, I think it's like 605 B.C. to like 543 or 
maybe, maybe not quite that long. It's like 40-something years. This guy reigned as the king of Babylon. And here we've got this guy who was basically like the, this, this, this place, this country, Babylon, this is the dominant superpower of that time. So I think we can relate somewhat, you know, to what that looks like and kind of have a little bit of an understanding of that. And, uh, and in Daniel chapter 2, uh, we have uh, this passage, and we've studied on this before as, we've, as I've taught through uh, the book of Daniel. And if you want to, you know, glean more about like the whole story of the book of Daniel and, and you know, even more of, of the story of this, because I don't have time to, to, to really jump into all of that today. Uh, you know, basically, we've got a king, and he has a dream, and it freaks him out. I mean, he's just completely messed up from this dream. He doesn't know what the dream means. And so he calls in like every, you know, wise person that he has in his court. Every, you know, pulls every string that he can think of, of people that could possibly tell him what this looks like. And then he takes them and he says, okay, I had a dream and I want you guys to interpret it, but I'm not going to tell you what it was. <laughs> so <laughs> just, just a mess like, okay, so I want you to read my mind. Okay, and I want you to tell me what the dream was because I'm not telling you, and then I want you to tell me what it means. None of them could do it. Surprise, surprise. Then Daniel, who was, you know, working for the man, so to speak, at this point in time, uh, you know, comes along and, and, and word gets to the king. He's like, this guy, this guy's your guy. This is the guy you need to talk to. And that's where we pick up here. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, I want to read this with you. It says, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. So he's, you know, basically he's, he's so freaked out, he's desperate for answers, you know, and so he gets his circle of people together, uh, you know, and in, in's going to come Daniel here in a minute, who had no real power himself, by the way. Uh, you know, but but what we see is we see this king's, we see this king's insecurities surface here. He's worried. He's worried that this dream is somehow negative toward him, his leadership. His reign, he, he's, like, he's like, this must be some prophetic thing. It's probably going to tell me that, you know, I'm going to fall. I'm going to get killed. I'm no longer going to be the king or whatever. What's that say? He's hungry for the power. He wants the power, you know? And, and often people in power are most anxious and worried about keeping the power. I mean, you take, take uh, you know, anybody in a, uh, a sport or, you know, or, or leader of a thing or, you know, whatever. And a lot of times what you have is you have a lot of worried and insecure people because they're constantly worried of losing what they worked so hard to get, the power. And here, King Nebuchadnezzar is in the same boat, uh, you know, as it says, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. And, and, and here's, here's, here's the truth. We all fear powerlessness on some level, even if we think we don't. We all fear powerlessness on some level, even if we don't think we do. You know, and I'll give you an example that's, you know, off of this. You know, uh, imagine, you know, losing a child, not, not knowing where your child is at, 
okay? And some of you have actually lost children. That's, that's huge powerlessness right there. But the fear for a parent to lose a child is huge. That's a, and that's a, that's a fear of powerlessness. And, and in a, let's say even in a moment where your child has run away from you, we have a child with the spiritual gift of running away from us at times when he should not do that. I won't name his name. And not that long ago, I'm sitting in my office one afternoon here at the church, and my wife calls and she says, uh, and she's frantic, and I can tell she's frantic, and she says, I just want you to pray right now. Cash has run away from me, and I don't know where he's at. We're in the middle of Target, and they have shut down the store. This is my child. He was found. He was fine. He was hiding in between clothes from literally everybody in the store looking for him and calling his name. But in those moments, you know, in those moments, those are scary moments. Like, what if this? What if he took off outside? What if somebody grabbed him and took off with him? And they're looking at cameras. They're doing all this stuff. You know, it's a sense of powerlessness. It's understandable to feel that. It's understandable to have, a, to have a healthy fear of that. But when we get to a point in life where all we do is fear powerlessness because of what could happen or what might happen, then it leads us back probably to what is an idol in our lives. And the truth is, is that we have this deep-rooted sin of this fear of powerlessness, and it hurts us, and it drives us. We pick up with Nebuchadnezzar here, and I want to jump on down to verse 31, as uh, you know, Daniel is brought in, and in verse 31, he tells the king his dream. And so the Lord reveals to Daniel the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had, and then he's going to tell him you know, basically what it means. And he says in verse 31, it says, You saw, O king, and behold a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partially of clay. So it's this huge statue made of all these elements, gold and silver and iron and clay and all these things. In verse 34 it says, As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken into pieces and became like chaff and the summer th- on the, of the summer th- threshing floors and the wind, talking about you know, threshing wheat and all this kind of stuff and what's left on the floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found, but the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So, you know, I don't guess I really blame the king for being a little worried about this dream. 
he obviously felt like it was prophetic. He obviously felt like there was something to it, something enough that he wasn't just like waking up and going, oh, well, that was just a crazy dream, you know, but he was like, I need to call everybody together and I got to get this figured out. Daniel steps to the plate. He tells him the dream. Then he begins to explain parts of the dream. And in the dream, you see that a stone is thrown and it is cut but not by human hands. So whose hands would that be? Well, that would be God. And so God had cut this stone and threw this stone at this statue, hit the feet, striking the feet, causing the entire thing to crumble. And basically, this was God's way of trying to communicate to King Nebuchadnezzar that his kingdom was to come. And the representation, if you go and you study all of this, the representation of, the, of this big statue idol thing made out of all these things is representing all of the kingdoms that were on earth at that time. And that all of the kingdoms will pass away and what will be left will be God's kingdom which will take over the earth. This is good news if you're a believer, by the way. Okay? So, I mean, this is great. You know, like, I'll be glad when all this stuff, sometimes I think to myself, I'll be glad when all this stuff can pass away. We don't, we don't have to hear about, you know, a lot of these things that we have to hear about all the time or experience all the time or other people are experiencing all the time. The stone was God's kingdom to come, to be set up on earth. It was a call to Nebuchadnezzar and to all leaders to humility that they would eventually lose power. And the truth be told, only had that power to begin with because God gave it to them. But human power crumbles in the end. In verse 46, King Nebuchadnezzar picks up here. He says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Nebuchadnezzar was at a place of, of realizing that uh, there wasn't a bunch of gods, but there was one God. And up to that point, more than likely, he was probably a believer that there were all these different gods because that's where so many people were at that point in time in history. And they believed there was a, you know, a god over, I mean, just about everything. A god over the weather and a god over the ocean and a god, you know, just pick your flavor. And, and they, so they'd make, they'd make up all these idols because you didn't want to, you know, you didn't want to miss anything. We see, we see that when Paul, you know, with, in Acts, when he goes into a town and, you know, they have all these idols set up and, you know, all these altars set up. And, it, and it's all because they're afraid they're going to miss one. You know, we don't want to miss the, we don't want to miss the weather idol. You know, because then, you know, if we're not worshiping that guy enough, well, he's going to get mad and he's going to come at us with some tornadoes or something, you know? Nebuchadnezzar was beginning to realize that there was one God more powerful than any. And here we have the most powerful man in the world at this point in time 
who had gained power, more power than literally anybody in the world, and he confesses Daniel's God as Lord of Kings. I want you to think about this for a minute. Lord of Kings. He confesses God to be Lord of Kings. Well, what is he? He's a king. So what he's saying is that this God, who he's just now learning about, is so amazing that he literally is the Lord of even him who has the most political and probably, uh, you know, whatever with army power, all this kind of stuff. He's got more power than any human being on the planet, but he's confessing in this moment that this God must be the Lord of kings, even himself. You may think, oh, well, this is great. Nebuchadnezzar's life's changed, turned around. You know, he's going to start living for the Lord, right? He's going to start holding tent revivals, you know, or something. Well, not so much. Nebuchadnezzar, a lot like us, and he falls flat on his face as he doesn't really follow the Lord. And the truth is, is he still just wants power. And so, like a lot of us do, we pray, and God, oh, please let me, you know, be able to do this or that. And at the end of the day, what we're really wanting is we're wanting to continue to have whatever power we have in this life over whoever we have it. And what happens? Another dream comes up. Another dream comes up. And Nebuchadnezzar asks Daniel again, and he's driven by fear and insecurity, and he is afraid. If you think he was afraid after the first one, he's really afraid after the second one. And we see this in Daniel chapter 4. And in Daniel chapter 4, in verse 24, he comes to Daniel, Daniel comes to him, and it's time to talk through this dream. And Daniel says, this is the interpretation. Verse 24. O king, it is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will." And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your insecurities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. And so Daniel shares, you know, this dream back to, you know, the interpretation of this dream back to Nebuchadnezzar. And I don't know about you, but if I'm Daniel and I'm having to interpret this dream back to the king, I'm a little worried for myself, just to be honest. Because this isn't, like, this isn't good stuff. This isn't like, oh, guess what? That dream's really good, dude. Like, everything's going to be cool. Uh Uh-uh. That's not what that dream is about. This dream you know, basically rolls out to the king, hey, you're going to go eat with animals. You're going to take a leave of absence as the king. 
and go literally live with animals, and that will happen until you recognize that God is the God Most High, that you will worship Him, and He will leave the stump of the roots of the tree. Right there, you're like, what in the world is he talking about? It's talking about basically while the king is gone, it's still going to, he's still going to be the king, but where he can come back to his kingdom as the king. And he goes on and he, and he basically, he's begging the king. He's like, dude, please turn now. Turn now. Follow the Lord. Seek righteousness. You know, don't, don't let this happen to you. And you would think, you would think that as the king, he'd be like, oh, okay. Well, Daniel was right the first time. I feel pretty good about that one. And, you know, he, you know if nothing else, he, he read my mind, you know, even if he made up the rest. But I don't think that's what happened. I think his God must be the God that is the Lord of kings. And so now he's given me this other vision, this other dream, and in this dream, I'm going to end up eating with the, oc- you know, the oxen and, and eat grass and all this kind of stuff. So what happens? What happens is Daniel 4.29. And at the end, it says this. It says, at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence, and for the glory of my majesty? Basically, he's like looking around while he's hanging out on the rooftop, and he's like, look at what I've done. I am the man. Right? This is many months later. It's funny how like in these moments where like God speaks to us about something, we know clearly what he wants us to do. And within months, we're totally doing our own thing. We're totally ignoring his leadership in our lives. I mean, it's just like us. You know, we can, you know, poke at this guy and go, oh, he's an idiot or whatever. I mean, the truth is, is, is this is us. You know, we do the same thing. And in verse 31, it says, While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Guess what happens? Verse 33 is what happens. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with dew of heaven until heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles feathers and his nails were like birds claws he goes to live with the animals he loses his mind and as history teaches us in this period here and as scripture teaches us in this period here he literally loses his mind to the point that they drive him out of the palace he can't stay there because of how he's acting, he's, he's, he's you know, want to call it crazy or whatever you want to call it, he's lost his mind. And the Lord has taken away his sense of sensibleness, or whatever you want to call it, for him to go live this period with animals. And he literally goes and lives with animals and eats grass. And it is, it is fulfilled. This prophecy is completely fulfilled. 
no surprise, right? And then in verse 34, it says this. It says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. So God gives him back his sensibility and in that moment, he realizes what has happened and he realizes that this God, the God, the one true God, is the God Most High. And everything that he had wasn't because he earned it. Everything he had was because God gave it to him and allowed him to be a manager of it for this moment in time. It's no different than us, again. If you jump to 36, verse 36, it says, At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. So he goes back after praising God and recognizing God for who He is in even His life as His Lord, then He returns to being the King. And His kingship, as it says right there, is even greater than it was before. Imagine, imagine seeing a leader like that humiliated and then they come back and lead even better than they were before. Humbled stricken with probably mental illness of some kind, and then comes back to lead. And you're like, Chris, what, you know, this is crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's a reminder to us today that pride leads to death. Pride leads to breakdown. Pride leads to loss of humanity. Pride is like the number one thing that so many people struggle with. I think we all, we all have some form of pride in our lives that we struggle with. It is this thing that drives us and, and, is, and is killing us at times when it comes to following the Lord in our lives because we don't, you know, we can't imagine, you know, mustering up the words to say something to somebody that makes us look like lesser than. You know, we, we live in a day and age where it's about, you know, being on top. Being the guy, getting a better position, getting more pay. And the truth is, is that if we can allow humility into our lives, that is what is the death of pride. And it is the birth of new things in our lives. And creates a tender heart instead of a hardened heart. Something that God can actually cultivate. Something He can actually work with. And to that, I just say, well, what did Jesus do? And I'm going to read to you the exact same passage that I read to you at the end of the message last week. Philippians 2, verse 6. Who though He was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Jesus, the creator of the whole world, came, laid his power down, 
took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He gave up power and humbled himself for us. For us. The term power play came to mind as I was studying through all this, thinking about the different ways that we want power in this world. Most of the time, I think it'd be real easy for us to go, well, I'm no king and I'm no politician and I'm not even the leader of an organization or whatever. You know, I'm not power hungry or whatever it is. But we know that's not true. We know that deep down, most of us, we want to be on top in some way. And and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Again, we turn good things into bad things by making them idols and making them ultimate things. The term power play, uh, when used in hockey, is a term that, you know, you hear if you get to go to a Preds game sometime, you'll, you'll hear him say, you know, this is your Nashville Predators power play. Right? None of you have been to a hockey game, I guess, okay? I'm sorry about that because you're missing out on maybe what might be the best sport of them all. I'm a, base, I'm a baseball guy. That's a big thing for me to say. But anyway, power play is this. A power play is when your opponent, you're getting a power play when your opponent has been penalized by one of their players being taken out of the game, okay, and ha- they have to set the bench for two minutes. That's a power play because now you don't have five against five. You have five against four. For two minutes, you got a power play. You have an edge. You have the chance to use this moment against them. And the truthfulness of life is this. God sent his son who had all the power in the world and he laid his power aside for us that we might know grace. And our sinful hearts are over here leading us to want to be in control, to have all the power. And we want to ascend to the top for our sake. And Jesus instead says, I'll descend and go low for their sake. He lost all power and served. He served in order to save us. That was his power play. That was his power play. To humble himself, taking the form of man and a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. And today I can't tell you enough how much we have to rely on him. And this is the hardest part for us, believers, non-believers, is for us to trust in Him for everything. Trust in Him to provide. To trust in Him to maintain, to offer us a a life worth living, to offer us a path worth taking. Because the truth is, is that we want to be in control. We want to say we did it. And we didn't. Did we play a part? Did God use the work that we've done? Absolutely, He did. 
But the truth is, is that God Himself has given what we have, even in these moments. And we are blessed with it. Let's pray together. God, we pray today that we wouldn't want this world's power. God, I pray today that we would want yours. God, I pray, Lord, that we would rest in yours. God, I pray for anyone that has never trusted in you as their Savior. God, I pray that today that they would recognize their need for grace. Lord, I pray that they would understand that they have sin in their life just as we all do. Lord, that we need you to save us from it. We need you to take the death that we deserve for it. God, I pray, Lord, that they would trust in you, believe in you to be their Savior. Do that work in their life today. For those of us that are believers today, I pray that we would just honestly, truthfully search our hearts. Let you search our hearts to help us to see where we might struggle with power. Help us to see where we might make an idol out of wanting to have the upper hand on somebody Lord, in a way, Lord, that is not ethical, not moral, not something that you would want us to do. God, help us to be a people who care about people, not just people that say it, but people that actually do it, willing willing to humble ourselves for others, willing to put others before ourselves, willing to be a servant like Christ. God, show us our hearts. Show us our hearts. Thank you for all that you do for us, including how you humble us at times. Thank you for your son Jesus and all this in his name.